Hello, and welcome to the recap by Dive Collective. Over the next few minutes, we're going to hit the highlights of the last week's reading from our reading plan. Annika and I are excited to invite you along as we read through the Bible together. You can find our reading plan at divecollective.org. It's a free download when you sign up for our newsletter. We know that some of you love the accountability of a checklist, while others thrive from the freedom to join in whenever your schedule allows. The recap is intended to meet all of those needs. So whatever category you fit into, just know we're excited to have you here with us today. Welcome back to the recap. This is our second episode of season two, where we're actually covering 21 chapters. Yes. So we went through a lot this week. One of the things that I really want people to learn from Dive Collective is that it's okay to be wrong. And so it was one of, it was really fun to go through this creation story and look at Noah. So I did these worksheets. I, I wrote these little meditations for um, all of these different chapters that we're studying right now in Dive Genesis in our in-depth Bible studies. And I, I looked to see how many years Noah, it took Noah to build the ark. And I don't know where I got my information. I mean, it might as well have been Wikipedia because I wrote that it took him 120 years, I think is what I put in the uh, meditation. I don't actually know. There's no, there's no black and white answer. Couldn't for how find long it, it anywhere. Him. I went to look. Yeah. There is 120, but totally unrelated to how long it took him to build. It the seems ark. pretty unrelated to how, and in yeah. fact, that 120 years, there's a, like, there's a totally different interpretation for how I read that, what that 120 years means. We can talk about that. I think there's some discrepancy and I think people, there are some people who agree with me. I didn't look at it that deep because I was focused on the fact that I got 120 years wrong. So anyway, in our worksheets, I wrote that it took him 120 years to build the ark. I don't think that's accurate. I do think it took many, many, I do think he looked like a fool for many, many years building an ark, this giant boat on dry land, but it's probably, I think more like 50 to 70 years, not 120. Anyway, I say I I enjoy that because like I said, I really want people to know that we just love scripture in in Dive Collective and we're going to get some things wrong and we might realize it and we might not. And that's not the point. The point is that we love scripture. We just love scripture. So if you're here because you want to make sure that you've got it all right, you're in the wrong place. If you're here to learn a whole lot beside us, you have come to the right place. Anyway, with that said, that's what, that was kind of a fun thing to happen in Genesis as I was reading through. I was like, wait, what? Where did I get 120 years? Okay. That 120 years in Genesis six, since we're already talking about it, when it says my spirit shall not abide in man forever for he is flesh, his days shall be 120 years. People interpret that as there's 120 years until God's going to bring destruction. I read that as that's when God is like, you guys are not going to live for a thousand years anymore. They're living like 700, 800, 900 years and a thousand years old. And God's like, the longer you live, the worse you get. So we're just going to kind of bring this to a close a little bit shorter. Like, so you're going to live like 120 years is the longest we're going to live now. And so I feel like that's when he shortens the days of man's life. Yeah. That's how I read it too. And I actually looked at the notes in my ESV study Bible and they mentioned both of those options. Okay. But it makes sense because after Noah, it's obvious you can see people don't live as long. And a lot of people Mm -hmm. attribute that to the canopy being different and the the whole layer around the earth. 
at least that's what I always heard, like the scientific explanation of it, because oh, the, there's the, before the flood, there's a layer of water between the sky mm -hmm. and the, and then that goes away. But reading this, like that's almost doesn't even, that's not relevant. It's almost like a, it's not a curse. It's like a blessing and a curse. It's, uh -huh. it's like, yes, okay, it's a blessing. Yes. So where the tree of life it's the same yes yeah it's the same as the tree of life like when god when adam and eve choose to, to not allow god to be their king mm -hmm. he blesses them by sending them out of the garden and not allowing them to eat from the tree of life like yes. mercy I, yes it's so much he's so merciful mm -hmm. yes it's this, it's the same to me that 120 years. Yes. I would say, I think that that realization was the very first time. I think that might be the very first time that God showed me something in scripture, me, myself, I was reading scripture and I saw that. And I was like, that is not the story I was told when God showed me that I can read scripture and he can show me his character me, Aaron, by myself, without somebody having to tell me a sermon or lead me mm. through a Bible study that I can read scripture and go, oh my gosh, I was taught that the fall of man and Adam and Eve being sent out of the garden was punishment for their sin. And them being sent out of the garden was his act of mercy. Like, I don't want them to have to live in this fallen state forever. So mm -hmm. God forbid that they would eat from the tree of life by sending them away and guarding it. That's a whole different picture mm -hmm. than them being banished from right, God's Right, because presence. God's angry, right. Yes, that was not what happened whatsoever. In fact, that's the beginning of a redemptive plan for God to bring his presence back to his people. Like it's not, mm -hmm. it was never to kick them out of his presence. It was to keep them from having to live in this dark, horrid Without state. his presence. Without forever. his presence yeah. forever. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, Genesis. Ugh. It's so beautiful. I just wanted to take a short break to let you know that we have a brand new community of believers on our Dive Collective Network. If you're looking for a more in-depth Bible study, we offer what we call Dive Studies. Right now, we're going through the book of Genesis in eight-week sections, and we'd love to have you join us. We have weekly meetings via Zoom. So if you're looking to go further in your studies, I highly recommend that you come and see us at divecollective.org for more information. There's another word. There's a word in here that I was like, what word was it that I had never seen? I think it was in the curse. ESV's interpretation of the woman's curse. I've never read that word before. He says in verse 16, chapter three, I will multiply your pain and childbearing and pain. You shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Contrary is not, I heard your desire shall be for your husband. Yeah. And he shall rule over you. I read that. And I was like, Oh, so I'm not actually, because I get to go back and study it in a few weeks, I decided mm -hmm. to look into it. So that is an observation that I know I'm going to go back and make interpretations about. Yes, that's going to be interesting to hear what you say about that. Yeah. Anyway, so yes, this is the recap. We are not studying. We are reading. Um, which was hard. Genesis, I spent so much time in Genesis. I was like, you've mm -hmm. got to just read. Like, just read, just read, just read. I spent a lot of time in Genesis 
Well, okay. So I'm reading through the message now. It's completely different. I thought I was going to feel pulled to study more because Mm -hmm. I was going to be like, I know this isn't what it actually says. Like in the old language, like I want to know what I thought I was going to be pulled into that, but it's so much easier. I think to get lost in the story of it in the message, Yes, which I've been, I've been really enjoying it more than I expected to. So I've been looking forward to reading it in the message. Yeah. There have been a couple things that I've looked up, but not as much as I thought. So chapter four, another thing that's an observation that I'll go back and study is verse seven. If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. So the contrary word stuck out again, but also rule over it because he gives them dominion over the world and tells them to basically rule over it. And so the fact that he's using those same Mm-hmm. words in regards to sin. I can't wait to go back and study that as well. So I jumped from the curse in Eve, and then I jumped to chapter four. So Adam and Eve have Cain and Abel, um, and then Cain and Abel bring sacrifices to God. And Cain basically gets jealous because God honors Abel Abel's sacrifice or his offering uh, because Abel's was more um, generous. Cain brought him an offering of the fruit of the ground where Abel brought the first of his flocks. Cain mm-hmm. um, kills Abel and God's basically responding to Cain. And he's actually trying, he's trying to parent him basically. Mm-hmm. This is before Cain kills Abel. This is before he kills him. Yeah. yeah. The Lord says, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. And then we know what happens. Cain doesn't rule over his sin and he ends up, you know, with his own curse, he ends up getting sent away. And God, even in that punishment, you see his mercy toward Cain Mm -hmm. um, and his protection over Cain, which is a whole another beautiful story. So anyway, Mm -hmm. you were going to say in your translation. Yeah. So it says, Sin is lying in wait for you, ready to pounce. It's out to get you. You've got to master it. And that just sounded so New Testament to me. It made me automatically think about bringing every like just that. I yeah. Well, and the idea of like Satan being like a lion, but but the idea that we're not slaves to sin anymore. Like as new creations, he's telling Cain, "You've got to master it." And now here we have the Spirit that enables us to not be slaves to sin anymore. And it just yes. made me really, really grateful for the new creation and for the well, spirit. And yeah, like taking that thought even further, it makes me think about like when God gave dominion to Adam and Eve over all of the animals before the fall, mm-hmm. like they would have had dominion over all of these things before the fall. And the way that the new Testament translates it, like you said, it's like a lion crouching at the door that like Adam and Eve before the fall, we would have had dominion over anything that would have come at us. It wouldn't have threatened us now being slaves to sin before like Cain, you know, now Mm -hmm. being a slave to sin can't have dominion over it. We can now with the Holy spirit, it's all been renewed Mm -hmm. because of Christ. And Mm -hmm. now we actually can rule over it. Mm -hmm. Like you said, and not be a slave to it because he has given us that his spirit is in us once again, and we're Mm -hmm. redeemed the way that we were intended to be at creation. That thought that we have dominion over even our sin. It's like a lion and we have dominion over it. Like it is for ours to rule. It is 
crazy. Cool. I could go on and on about Genesis. I got a lot, but I don't want to take forever. Do you have anything else? Yeah. My mom was very, um, she liked using Genesis to support science, which I don't, I'm not like, this is not to open any kind of controversy, but I was raised that's very literal and it's very, but reading the intro to the ESV, they kind of laid out all the different views of creation. Some people believe it's literal Mm -hmm. Like there are probably, I think there are like five main views about what the time looked like in creation Uh and basically said, they're all completely valid because that's not the point. The point of Genesis is to show that God created like, yes, like that create the point of the creation account is to show God did it. And, And there were a couple other things in there that were specifically related to science. And it kind of, I was like, this is really, I just loved it. Like it, yes. it was just fun to read and think, yeah, we can, it's not a complete history. Like it gives us the beginning, what we're studying in creation to Noah. That's like that section. And then we follow family lines and yes. the book of Genesis is not a science book. That's <laughs> not the purpose of it. And, and it was talking and about, it goes back to that idea. Like if you were looking to be right if you want to be right about how the world was formed, this is not the place for you. Like, <laughs> right, right. I mean, God formed the world. Yes. Like, but there's a lot of room for interpretation. So much room. In the, those details. And eat, like one of the things that we're talking about was the flood. And I know there are lots of, anyway, it, <laughs> just that there are different views within the creation account. But what matters is that God made the world. And what do we learn about God from it? Glory, right? Yes. Glory. He created people. He gave it to us to enjoy and have dominion over. He loves us. He adores us. Yes. And I think reading it through in the message this time, it's that's what's easier to focus on is that big story, the big picture. Like I don't have to prove. Yes. One thing or another thing. We're not doing apologetics one and two. Right. Yeah. Yes. I enjoyed that intro. Let's go to Ezra. One of the things that I loved from Ezra 8, um, so Ezra actually doesn't show up until chapter 7, which I didn't realize this, but chapter 7, after all of this, Ezra. So Ezra shows Mm -hmm. up, and he is still back in Persia, I think, in Babylon, and he is basically asking the king if he can go and take some people and help. So he does, he gets approval and he has all this, he organizes all the people. Um, the generous hand of our God was upon us. So they get ready to go. Well, it's, it says, um, I proclaimed a fast there beside the Ahava Canal, a fast to humble ourselves before our God and pray for wise guidance for our journey, all our people and possessions. I was embarrassed to ask the king for a cavalry bodyguard to protect us from bandits on the road because we had just told our king. We had just told the king our God lovingly looks after all those who seek him but turns away in disgust from those who leave him. So Ezra's like with all these people and all of a sudden he's like, oh, we don't have protection, but we can't ask for protection because we already told this king that God was going to protect us. So 
I guess we have to trust that God's going to protect us. And so that's what they do. And it says, so we fasted and prayed about these concerns and he listened. And then you keep reading. And then a few verses later, it says, we left the Ahava Canal on the 12th day of the first month to travel to Jerusalem. God was with us all the way and kept us safe from bandits and highwaymen. Can I just... So far, 900 miles, 900 miles with gold and silver and treasure. Madness. 100 miles. Right. It's complete madness. Like you totally get why Ezra's like, oh "Oh." my gosh, what are we going to do? Yeah. Like, (laughs) whoops. But like the only way they made that was God's hand. Yeah. Yes. And just like his, I love, this is totally Eugene Peterson's. I don't know what it says in your ESV, but that. I was embarrassed to ask the king. Yes. Because we just, like, he's, t- that's so relatable. Real. Yes. yes. Like, he just was like, well, we told him we trusted God. So I can't I ask for help. I guess we're going to have to trust God. And so they do and they pray and they, and of course, yes. God blesses that. And I just loved that part of the story. It was, I literally have written in my margin, I love this so much. I can totally see this. Like, I can, it's so relatable. Yes. yes. I'm so glad yeah. you brought that up. That's so good. Yes. Ezra seems kind of cool. Matthew. I have really one, one takeaway from Matthew. We studied Matthew in depth, so it's really hard for me to not skim it. Yeah. But one of the things I loved about Matthew that I've never seen before that I've only saw because we're reading through it fast. I really love that. Like you get this like birth story of Jesus and then it, and then you get his transitions into his ministry. And the very first thing you get, what it would have been like to sit at one of his sermons. You get to pretend that you're sitting on the grass and you, these are the things that he chooses to tell his followers who gather in close and spend time with him. And that would have taken a long time to hear him say all of it's chapters and chapters of like Mm -hmm. one long sermon from there. Then he jumps into like his life, like his work. What? Mm -hmm. So I just like that you get the voice of God first. It's almost like you get, yeah his birth story and then his voice, what it would have been like to just sit on that mountain and hear him speak. Mm -hmm. And then you get the life acts. I don't know. I, that's just never struck me before the order of that and kind of what a gift it is. It's like literally God, let us be a fly on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. That is cool. Anyway, that's my, that's, that's it for Matthew for me. That's all I got. (laughs) I loved Matthew this week and I'm, Okay. A couple things. Joseph. I was completely blown away by Joseph reading through it this time. And I think part mm. of that is like, I mean, it was Christmas. We're just coming off of Christmas time. And I have, there are a couple of songs that I always listen to at Christmas that have a couple of lines in them that I love that kind of focus on Joseph. And then I was having a conversation with my brother and sister-in-law the other week about, I don't remember what movie it was, but one of the movies that has been made on the birth of Jesus and just how Joseph was something that came up in that conversation. Well, part of it is chapter one, but chapter one and two is really all we see. And then he disappears. Like we don't, we know nothing about Joseph other than the birth. And then we see a little bit of him in some of the gospels when Jesus is at the temple in Jerusalem, but we don't get that in Matthew. I don't even know how to, the faith that he exercised in going against every cultural expectation when it came to Mary all of a sudden being pregnant, like that would have been a smear on him just as much as it would have been on her. Like everyone would have, the fact that he married her would have made everyone assume. I think this is what I was talking about with my brother and his wife. 
the fact that he married her would have made everyone assume it was his child. Mm-hmm. And being in a town like Nazareth, that stays with you forever mm-hmm. in that kind of culture. Um, so thinking about that and then just like several times, one of the songs describes him as noble. And that's just what I think about Joseph when I think about Joseph, I think about noble and that he, Andrew Peterson translates it that way. He calls him chagrined, but noble, noble mm. when he decides not to put Mary away, like just to go ahead and marry her. Chagrined, um, but noble. Yeah. Like I know. Did I say Andrew? I may have said Andrew. He's the one that sings some of the songs that I like. Anyway, there were several times where the angel appears and he does exactly what God says. Like that was the, I think I have three times yeah, where so I have it underlined. It's like, it's like, okay. It, he gets the so information faithful. He just immediately obeys. I just thought a lot about Joseph. And I think I have, too, when you think about in contrast to the other people that we've seen who encounter angels and how many times they ask for a second sign or a second message or like, there's, I don't know that I, there aren't many people like Joseph who are like, yeah. okay, this okay. Is this now. is what we're doing. Yeah. And I, I think it just made me like, I just want to talk to him. Like it made me, I want to hear, like, we don't <laughs> get the story, the story from Joseph's perspective. Yeah. yeah and I and just, where does he go? Does he die early? I, I just always assume that he dies. I don't think yeah. we know anything, right. but he completely disappears from the scene. Unless Mary ends up getting married again. We no. it seems like he has other children. They have other, right, they have right, other children. Right, right. I assume Joseph is their father, but I loved reading about Joseph this week. Yes. That was one of the things that, that I really enjoyed. Chapter five, verse two, I think he's drawing huge crowds and he climbs a hillside and it says those who were apprenticed to him, the committed climbed with him, arriving at a quiet place. He sat down and taught his climbing companions. And I know we've talked a lot about at the beginning of Mark, the people that come, but then we ended revelation the other week with that, with the passage that's just come like Mm -hmm. that. Jesus is like, these are the people I'm going to teach them because they're here and then they come. Yeah. And they take the water of life freely. That's the way Revelation ends. But the Beatitudes, did you read the Beatitudes in the message? This first, this section right here in chapter five. No, see, I missed out on all of, I missed out on Matthew in the message. Okay. I love, I'm going to just read them. I'm going to just read them because it's totally different. It reads completely differently. Okay. So this is right after what I just read, arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught his disciples, his climbing companions. And this is what he said. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope with less of you, there's more of God and his rule. Mm -hmm. You're blessed when you feel you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one most dear to you. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. He's food and drink and the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At the moment of being careful, you find yourselves cared for. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. Mm. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. You're blessed when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, count yourselves blessed every time people put you down or throw you out or speak lies about you to discredit me. 
What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort and they are uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even for though they don't like it, I do. And all heaven applauds and know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. Uh, all of heaven. Totally different. So beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. Content with just who you are. So that makes me think of Genesis and that idea that like we were created in the image of God, uniquely made, and he loves the way that he made us. So I was talking about this theology that I had been taught that like when we are in Christ, when we come before him, who he sees is Jesus that when he looks at us, he sees Jesus and how I've like completely thrown that away. And I'm like, no, he sees me. Like he made me and he loves the way that he made me when in Christ, when I'm covered, when I, when I'm cleansed by his righteousness, like when God sees me, he sees the me that he intended from creation without sin. Because uh, you're clothed in the righteousness of Christ because, because of what Christ did. Yeah. And I kind of see it as like more like a washing. Like he literally like just washes all the sin away. And so like, I am the purest version of myself because of Christ, like only because of Christ, his righteousness washes me. And I am the cleanest, purest version of Aaron before God. Just that is kind of a new thought to me within the last few years. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. Yeah, when you're content with who you are, like who God created you to be is a beautiful thing. Not with sin. God desires to purify us. And it like has me like thinking because I ha- kind of love it, but kind of like, yes, it's one like of those, Christ. right. It's one of those things that I think you can go this way or this way. Yeah. And you have to be careful with it. Like, it's, yeah, yes. Yeah. Cause I'm not celebrating myself. I'm celebrating right. Christ. Right. Like, but at the same time, God celebrates me. Like he celebrates mm-hmm. over me, the creation that he made me. It could be nuanced, but if you know, like the heart of what. Right. I'm the, getting the delight at, like, that so God beautiful. takes in his people. In his yeah. creation. Yeah. Yes. In us as image bearers of himself. Yeah. Like, that we are very good. Anyway. Yeah. Oh, his word. His word, his word, his word. So precious. All right, that is this week's episode of The Recap. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to The Recap. If you enjoyed this discussion and maybe you're wondering how to get more highlights out of your own scripture reading, you might be interested in joining our in-depth Bible studies where we model our version of inductive Bible study. You can find out more at divecollective.org and we will see you next week.